Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley. Scripture reading this, this evening will be from Acts chapter 16, verses 23 through 34. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's hands were loosened. And the keeper of the prison, awakening out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew his own sword that he would kill himself supposing that the prisoners had fled. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in that house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes, and was baptized, he and all his, straightway. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all of his house. You may be seated. Acts 16, from which Ben has just read, is going to be our text for tonight. If you want an outline of the sermon, that's how you can have it. Go to Acts chapter 16. We're going to spend our time there. So glad to see you tonight. This is a familiar passage of scripture. It's the conversion of the Philippian jailer, at least familiar to most of you. There's a part of it, though, that through the years has always given me pause. It's um, something that is implied. Now, when when you love to study the Bible as much as I do, There will be moments like that when you come across something and you'll say, wait a minute, wait wait a minute. What about between this verse and this verse? And what must have happened there? And there are, I'm I'm not finding hidden contradictions in the Bible in my study. I'm finding hidden treasures. I hope that's always true about you. And Paul and Silas were in Philippi and they, they came upon a slave girl who had a spirit of divination. I don't know a lot about that. I know that it must have been an awful thing, and they would follow after, or she rather, would follow after Paul and Silas and say, these men are from the Most High God, and it's not up to a slave girl with some demon in her to to be doing that, and Paul turns around and he casts the demon out of her. Now, we have a hard time grasping that because we've never been around someone possessed by demons. And sometimes I'll be asked the question about demon possession and do people have it today? And the answer is no. It was limited to this time. It wasn't some disease. It was actually a demon that would inhabit a person's body and control them and sometimes in very awful, awful ways. I believe that it was limited to the time of Christ and the apostles on earth for the purpose of demonstrating that heaven's power is stronger than the power of hell. And so Paul turned around and just cast that demon out of this poor slave girl. The problem is that 
She was a soothsayer, and, and the merchants were making some money off of her with her fortune telling. Now, you, I don't know, I don't know if there, what, what about that? I just know that they believe that she, with this spirit of divination, could, could, could predict things. And so, now the spirit's gone, and I guess she acts very normally. And the merchants that are making money off of her, they don't like this. They were merchandising her, and they didn't care about her, but they cared about the, the spunduli. They, didn't, they wanted the money. And, and they, they drag Paul and Silas to the magistrates there in the marketplace, and they say, these men being Jews do exceedingly trouble our city. They're teaching things that we cannot abide, being Romans. I don't even know what that means. I mean, that's, that seems to be sort of disassociated from what's happening. But anyway, the magistrates get very upset. They, they rip the clothing. They command for them to be beaten. I've never been beaten before, but, but they beat these men in a way that would that would draw blood. And then they took Paul and Silas to the prison and they told the jailer to put them, keep them safe. You put them in. So he takes them to the inner prison, wherever that is, the, 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 the safest, most secure, I suppose, a dark and dank, damp place. And he puts their feet in the stocks. Now, when I think about those stripes on their backs and the blood coagulating and the insects preying on those wounds, and their feet, I don't, I've had times at night, not very often, I'm a good sleeper, but there, there have been times in my life when I was troubled about something. And did you ever toss and turn during the night because you just, you just couldn't get comfortable in one position? Imagine having your feet fast in the stocks and how that must have been, especially with, with your back lacerated like, it, like theirs was. It must have been a very uncomfortable thing. And the insects, it must have been awful. And at midnight, Paul and Silas were singing and praying, and the prisoners heard them. It's an interesting editorial note that the prisoners heard them. What, what do you make of that? I don't know the point, except that it, it just gives you a sense of the atmosphere. And there was a tremendous earthquake. The earthquake was sort of surgical, I think, because it didn't follow what it seems to me would be a, a logical a course. I mean, so it shakes the building hard enough. Now, I know that it's, I mean, I assume it's made of stone because it has a foundation. If it was just a cave, you wouldn't say that it had a foundation, but it's got a foundation under it. And so it shakes it hard enough that the, that the gates come loose and they're chains, which presumably would have been born into the stone. Well, they all came loose but nobody was injured. There's no indication that anybody got hurt. I don't know how, how, you, how you shake a place like that and the stones don't fall. The roof system doesn't collapse somewhere. And, but there's no indication that anybody was harmed. They were just freed. And the, the, the jailer, and this is important, was going to run himself through with his sword. The indication of that, of course, is that he knew the consequence of his prisoners being released, earthquake or not, was really going to be bad. He would rather die at his own hand than die at their hand, the Romans' hands. And so Paul cries out and says, don't, don't hurt yourself, we're all here. It must be the case that the, the jailer had heard the Christ that Paul was preaching prior to now. Maybe, maybe he had thought about it, I don't know. I know that he was ready to kill himself. He was in a terrible position but when he realizes that he doesn't have to die, 
He runs in, falls before Paul and Silas, and says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And then they taught him how to do that. What does it mean to believe in Jesus? And then what do you do to obey Jesus, obey the gospel? And so they taught him how to do that, and he took them the same hour of the night. The jailer took Paul and Silas, and the Bible says he watched their stripes. That's repentance. And he was baptized. He was immediately baptized, and his family it's the middle of the night. I mean, what time? You think it's 1.30? Why? What time might it be? It's the middle of the night. And, and the Bible says immediately he was baptized. I'm in Acts chapter 16, verse 34. And when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them. Just get a, a grasp of this. He's a Roman prison guard. He is under threat of his life if he doesn't guard these prisoners. He has just allowed one of them to put him underwater, right? Defenseless. And, and now he's got the prisoners at his house with his family and he's having a, a late night supper with them. He set food before them and here's the atmosphere. And he rejoiced, verse 34, believing in God with all his household. 35 says, and when it was day, the magistrate sent the officers saying, let these men go. And the keeper of the prison reported this to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Now, therefore, depart and go in peace. Hold on, hold on. There it is. There it is. This is the part that's always given me pause. Go back in your mind to sitting there and having supper together. The jailer and Paul and Silas and the jailer's house, his, his people, they're sitting around, they're having a meal. And this is not a weeping party, this is a rejoicing party because now he's a Christian. Don't you suppose he wanted to ask questions, more questions about Jesus? Now, now that I'm a member of the church of Christ, what, tell me what happens now. And all the, those discussions must have been just going on there. And then, while we don't have it between these two verses, it is, it is implied, of course, that at some point, I suppose Paul or Silas said, we really need to be getting back to the prison. It's going to be dawn soon. And you don't want them to, the authorities, to find us here with you. We need to get back. You'll be in danger. Now, what did the jailer say at that moment? What do you suppose the Philippian jailer must have said at that moment? And surely it was something along these lines. I can't take you back. I, you're, we're, we're brothers in Christ. We're brothers in Christ. Are you, you, you brought me the gospel. I, I came into this night lost because of my sin. I came very near to killing myself this night and you showed me the way and now you you and I are brothers in Christ we're part of the body of Christ I I I can't I can't take you back how would Paul respond oh brother it's all right I'm I'm not gonna let let this go without we're going back We, we have to go back we're going back I'm not going to put you in danger. It'll be all right. And they, they went back. 
The jailer put him back. Now, I don't know how that conversation went. I'm speculating. You know that. But what I do know is that he was rejoicing, feeding them in his house, and now he's a Christian. He's a brother in Christ. And the next thing you know, they're back in jail. There must have been some conversation. Why did Paul and Silas go back? I would remind you before we go on, because the cogs may be turning and you think, well, maybe there are other reasons that Paul went back. Maybe it was because he didn't want to violate the law and he was in violation of the law. Hold on a minute. Hold on. Bear in mind that the one who released them from jail was God himself. God released Paul and Silas miraculously from that jail. They would not have done anything against God by, by leaving that house and going on their way. Why did Paul and Silas go back? Three reasons. Number one, because Christians, new Christians, need good examples. I doubt that that Roman jailer, that Philippian jailer, had ever seen anything like this before. That one individual would love him enough, uh, an individual who isn't blood kin, and in fact might have reason to hate him, but what's going on inside of these Christians rises above all that, and they do. Paul and Silas do love him. Are you kidding me? Are you, they love me? I doubt he had ever seen anything like this. Any kind, like in Christ, what you have is this kind of sacrifice, this kind of kindness. I expect he learned something on that occasion that no sermon could have communicated quite as well about living a Christian life and the relationship that Christians share with one another. What should we do, you and me, to be helping new Christians? In this church, we have a number of them who have a number of people who are just wonderful and, and they're, they're members of this church as much as I am, but they haven't been Christians very long. And the answer is that, that we, we know that, that they're going to need patience. They haven't been around the scriptures very long. They may not know a, a lot about the scriptures and they're going to grow. They're, they're, and, and I think about different ones in this room over the, last, over the last 20 years who have become Christians and my, my, where they are today in their spiritual life and their strength in the scriptures. I mean, it's just so far ahead of where they started. And I suppose that's true about all of us at some, in some way, isn't it? We're going to accept the fact that they don't know everything. We have a class, you know, in this church for people who are new converts and others come to that class too. We're going to have a welcoming atmosphere for these. After all, they're our brothers and sisters in Christ. They, they are new at this, but they are, they're our spiritual kinfolks. A couple of weeks ago, we had a picnic out there at the pavilion. I mean, out there at the pavilion. It was great. I mean, the food was good too, but it wasn't about that. It was, it was great because people were together, and they were, you know what the sound of Christians is, don't you? I mean, there was just this, this talking. It was a roar kind of underneath that pavilion, and all the talking. And what, was, what I observed that I thought was the best thing was that you had people who were visitors. They're not even members of the church. They, they were invited by people, and they came, and, but they were just embraced, and people were enjoying each other and eating and laughing and talking. And there's an atmosphere of acceptance for people who are new Christians. And I need to cultivate friendships with these folks. In John 13, our Lord washed the disciples' feet, you know, at the Last Supper. 
And then the King James says it this way, that Jesus said, if you do these things, these kinds of servant things, happy are you if you do them. I guess, I guess that Paul could have argued, look, I, I, I would like to help him, but I, I can't really do that because there's a good chance that I'll be beaten again. Silas will be beaten again. I mean, we, we can't go through that. In fact, this thing is crooked around here, and there could be another guard in this jail and he could be paid off, and he could just come in and kill us. I mean, this, this could be life and death. I would like to help the jailer out, but, I mean, after all, he did make his bed, and now he just needs to, right? I mean, you could just think of all the reasons why Paul and Silas could have, this, I, I, we just can't go back. We can't go back. New Christians need good examples. They need to see Christ living in us. The bottom line is that Paul could have saved the jailer's life without violating God's will one whit. And he could ensure by doing that that there would be one more worker in the church at Philippi. In Matthew 23, 11, Jesus taught you and me this lesson. He that is greatest among you shall be your servant. Got it? Yeah, we, we got it. He taught Paul that. He taught us that. Now, here's number two. Why did Paul and Silas go back to jail? And the answer is because Paul understood paying it forward. You know that term? Paying it forward. You do. And, and paying it forward means that there's so many things before that people have done that, that have been so helpful to me. Kindness. And everybody in this room can, can right now remember those things. Go ahead and, and just go back over the years of your life. And can't you remember things, acts of kindness done to you that you did not deserve, that you did not earn, but people just in sort of an altruistic way, they, they blessed your life. And, and I'm telling you, I've had many of them. And some of them are gone now. How do you pay that back? How do you pay it back? And for many people, including you and me, we understand this, this business about paying it forward. And that is, I, I can't pay that person back, but I can find somebody else and bless their lives, right? Okay, hold that. that. That's what Paul is doing with the jailer. Now, I want to I go back in the book of Acts. Do you remember the man named Barnabas? Acts 4.36. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, his name was Joseph, and they called him Barnabas. It means son of exhortation. Is a Levite, and he's from Cyprus. And in Acts chapter 4, you see that, that Barnabas was a, I mean, he was a great man, and he owned some land in Cyprus, and some people presume that that was valuable land, waterfront property probably, and worth a lot of money, and he sold the land, brought it, and, and had it distributed among the, the needy Christians. And so Barnabas was, he was distinguished from the get-go as just an important, great man in the church. Here's Acts 9, verse 20. And it's talking about Paul, whose name was Saul, and Saul was baptized. And then it says this, Acts 9.20. Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. And all who heard were amazed and said, is this, not, is this not he who destroyed those who called on his name in Jerusalem? The Christians, he destroyed the Christians. And has come here for that purpose, so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. 
Now, after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down through the wall in a large basket. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. Come on now, he's preaching Christ, and he's risked his life for Christ. So he he came to Jerusalem, and he wants to place membership. But they were all afraid of him. They did not believe that he was a disciple. Would you? But Barnabas took and brought him to the apostles. Barnabas brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and how he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and out. The Christians accepted him. He spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists. But they attempted to kill him. When the brethren found out, they brought him, Saul, down to Caesarea and sent him out to Troas. Now jump to chapter 11 of Acts and verse 19. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, preaching the word to none but the Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who when they had come to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Then the news of these things came to the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed for Troas to seek Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch, so that it was that for a whole year they, Saul and Barnabas, his friend, assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Christians, such as Barnabas, believed in Saul as a new Christian and stuck by him. When times were really tough for him, when it looked like he might not live. And it was Barnabas who stepped up and said, hold on a minute, I've heard him preach. He does believe and defend the truth that Jesus is the Son of God. I know him. I'm sticking with him. And it was that influence that mattered. Now, just fast forward till we get to Philippi and this jailer. Barnabas isn't even there. I guess in a way he is. Reckon Paul remembered that he was the Philippian jailer at one time. That he was in those shoes at one time. And that a man named Barnabas cared enough about him to love him and to believe that he really was a Christian after all. And now you got this Philippian jailer sitting there at the house having supper with his two his two prisoners. Paul and Silas and And the jailer is rejoicing. I'm a Christian. I'm in Christ. Let me ask you questions. Tell me more. Paul says, we've got to get back. Why would Paul go back? Why would he do that? God was the one who released him from prison. Why would he go back? And the answer is, I would argue, is because to do otherwise puts his new brother in great harm's way. Now here's the third one. Why did, why did they go back to prison? The third reason is because Paul and Silas 
didn't actually lose their freedom when their feet went back into the stocks. This is something that's a, a, a prominent theme through the New Testament. And, and it's something that you and I need to grasp. And as we launch into this new week, and our, our lives are so very diverse in this room, so many different things going on. And I want you to remember this, that there's a freedom in Christ that the world will never understand. But you understand it. When Paul said, take me back to, to prison, take us back to prison, he understood it. Going back to prison didn't mean he wasn't free. He was still free. There's like, that's a paradox, isn't it? I mean, to think that I would be in prison and yet I would be free at the same time, that's a paradox. On the face of it, it looks contradictory, but it makes perfectly good sense. And Jesus, I mean, there are a lot of paradoxes that surround Jesus. He's the king of kings, yet there's no room for him at the end. He's without sin, yet he was crucified between two thieves. That's paradoxical. He's the son of God and he's the son of man. Jesus began his earthly ministry in Nazareth talking about the fact that he came to give liberty. He came to give freedom. Now, I want you to bear in mind that 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 freedom doesn't mean that if you're a slave and you obey the gospel, that you can just stop being a slave. It doesn't mean that. And, and, And the walk of life that you're living right now. You know, I become a Christian. Now, you, you walk away from sin, but there may be circumstances so, so very hard, and I want freedom from those things. But that's not what this is talking about. It's a different kind of freedom. Oh, it's very real, and it's the best. Here's Luke 8, uh, 4, verse 18. The Spirit, Jesus read, of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Listen. In my life, when I do the right thing, despite the fact that it's the hardest decision in that circumstance, and and isn't it true that it's often the case that doing the right thing is the hardest thing? When I do the right thing, even though it's the hardest thing at the time to do, And I'm at peace with it because it's the right thing. That's freedom. That's the freedom. When my days are dark and I think that it won't be very long until I'll be in heaven with him. And that reality gets me through. That's the freedom. There are many passages that talk about the bondage of sin, bondage of being away from Christ, Think about these, and some of these are going to be familiar to you, but maybe you haven't thought so much about the fact that they emphasize bondage. Acts 8 and 23, to Simon, Peter says to Simon the sorcerer, for I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. What does that mean? He was in prison. I'm going to tell you something, the, the, the saddest kind of imprisonment is the kind where the person who's in prison, the prisoner, believes himself to be free. Romans 6, 16 Don't you know that to whom you present yourself servants to obey, his servants you are, whether sin unto death or or of obedience unto righteousness. You're You're going to be a servant. I love being the slave of Christ. Here's 2 Peter 2.19. While they promised them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he's brought into bondage. We're, We're motivated with the gospel to teach people because of freedom. 
because we can offer them freedom. And Jesus offers us freedom because he tells the truth about sin, about redemption. John 8 and 32, you'll know the truth. The truth is what will make you free. And I would argue that this is the only freedom that Jesus offers us. And I'm not discounting the value of prayer, of course. But, but again, as I said a while ago, I mean, what, what Jesus offers us is not necessarily a change of circumstance. When I, when I become a Christian, the Ethiopian eunuch had to go back to work after baptism in Acts 8. And Cornelius, when he was baptized, still was in the Roman army. Onesimus was still Philemon's slave. In 1 Corinthians 7, beginning in 17, Paul says he's talking about this very thing. As God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. And so I ordain in all the churches. Was any called while circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing. Uncircumcision is nothing. But keeping the commandments of God is what matters. Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can be made free, rather use it. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freeman. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. Why did Paul and Silas go back? The answer is because I wanted to show this new Christian, something I doubt he had ever seen before. That kind of an example, that kind of caring that exists in this room between brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, we we get it. And you see examples of it all the time in this church. And on that occasion, that jailer saw it. It was because you got to pay forward. It's because Saul, Paul, had been in a similar circumstance concerning his conversion when he obeyed the gospel. And now he he expresses that same kind of kindness to this man. I expect he did it with a smile. And because going back to prison didn't impede the freedom of the apostle Paul or of Silas. They were free when they were out of that prison. They were still free when they were in it. It's freedom in Christ. Now, Here's the conclusion, is that this uh, Philippian jailer was baptized a little after midnight. I want you to feel, and the Bible says that immediately, immediately he was baptized after he washed their stripes. I I want you to just, again, appreciate the danger. I mean, he was putting his head into the lion's mouth. This is so dangerous. Why in the world? Would, would somebody be baptized under this circumstance? I mean, wouldn't you say, we'll meet somewhere in six days. I know a private place. We'll plan it out very carefully so that there's no chance of our being discovered. That's not how they did that. Well, what happened is that Paul and Silas taught this jailer how to obey the gospel, what it means to believe in Jesus, how to obey Jesus. And the Bible says he took them the same, they took him the same hour of the night and baptized him. And incidentally, I, I mean, we, we've talked to people many times who say, I'm ready to, to be baptized, and when should we do it? There's only one answer to that, right? When should we do it? Now. We should do it that now. 
if baptism is what the Bible says, that is, for the remission of sins, then you don't just say, won't we put it off till later when we have a more convenient season? What we do is we get to the water as quick as we can. Let's go now. If I have somebody walk up to me before worship and say, I want to I wanna obey the gospel today. I don't say, let's wait till we finish the sermon because then we offer an invitation. And that, that's when you should, are you kidding? No, no, no. You stop and you say, everybody, hold on a minute. We're going to baptize this man or this, this woman into Christ, right? We'll put the worship off a few minutes and we'll go baptize them. It's because of Acts 16 and the principle that's found here. Now, Ephesians 1 and verse 3 says that spiritual blessings are in Christ Jesus. That's distinguished from the physical blessings with which God blesses us. Spiritual blessings are the hope of heaven, the answer to prayer, forgiveness, spiritual blessings. They're only found in Christ, which, which of course leaves dangling a question. How does a person get into Christ? Romans 6 and verse 3. You know you're not that so many of us as we're baptized into Christ, we're baptized into his death. The answer is the New Testament teaches that you, you, you can't have the spiritual blessings outside of Christ. They're only in Christ. And the only way to get into Christ is to be, to be baptized into Christ. How about you? How about you? I, I think that to talk about the family of God, that's what we've been discussing tonight, and the, the beauty of redemption, of forgiveness, as seen in this conversion example, is just exciting. And it reminds us of who we are, of, of what we're about. Is there somebody here tonight who wants to obey the gospel? You've, you've, you've heard the word of God. If you believe that Jesus is God's son, then you can turn from your sin. That's repentance and confess Jesus. That you believe Jesus is the son of God. Do you believe that? Then if you do, then you can be baptized just, just like the jailer was and for the reason he was and be added to exactly the same church that the Philippian jailer was added to. Tonight would be a great night. If, if you are a Christian, but you need the prayers of the church for whatever reason, we're here for you. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word, brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at colley at westhuntsville.org.